Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes Podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Matteo. And together, we are diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way and ranking them. This is episode number 18, Marcus Licinius Crassus. Matteo. Hmm. You have a cold. Yeah, I do. So, I feel for you. Matteo coughs a little bit, sounds a little underpowered. He's been feeling rotten for the last few days. But nothing is going to stop you. Yep. Nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, Matteo, Crassus, we've heard his name in prior episodes, and we talked about the seeds that Sulla had planted during the first great Roman Civil War. And there were three seeds, right? Little losers. Mm-hmm. So, we're entering... Ah, we've said it a million times. This is the end game, and these are the three names. Together, they would form a secret alliance that would be known as the Triumvirate. Yeah, and that Triumvirate would pretty much be directly responsible for the death of the Republic and the birth of Empire, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so now we're going to start unpacking the Triumvirate and getting into their history and who were they really? What did they truly do? And here we begin with the first of the three seeds, Matteo, the oldest of the three. So uh, uh, we're, you and I were just talking about this. I've tried to organize the podcast by chronologically by birth date. Right. And Crassus was the oldest of these three dudes. And perhaps everyone on the planet, most people on the planet, know his name, right? They've heard of his name, but do they know him? Right. right? What? What do you think the average Joe on the street thinks of when they hear the name Crassus? You want to know what your mother said? What? Cray Cray is Crassus. <laughs> so that was, that was her. Do you think that's like average Joe on the street? I don't even know if the average person even knows who Crassus is, to be honest. No? No. Because, well, I won't say what I grew up hearing. Let's just jump into it and see who he was. All right. But before we get into Crassus, Matteo, let's orient ourselves on the map and in time. On the map and in time, the year is 115 BC. That's when Crassus is born. To put that into context of our last few episodes, Sertorius was 11 years old at that time, Sulla was 23 years old, and Crassus was most definitely born in Rome. Right, and we usually look at events around the world uh, right now. We're so close in time to our last couple of episodes that we're going to skip it because we just keep repeating the same stuff. We do. We do. That makes sense because all of these, in, in the end game of the Republic, the lives of the key players were overlapping. And so let's just jump into Crassus. So he was born in 115 BC. The death struggle between the populists and the optimates had already begun. And Matteo, I know it feels like we've been talking about this for 100,000 years. But this was just a couple of years before the start of the Juggerthine War in Africa. Marius and Sulla hadn't yet received their first major commands. That's when Crassus was born. Right. So, Crassus. I don't know if you remember this. We mentioned it in an early episode, but Crassus was a cognomen. And it basically meant fatso. Mm. Like, that's 
I wouldn't feel super thrilled about that. Yeah, me neither. I'd have some serious body issues. Right, 100%. If you didn't have problems before, you definitely have them when you get Fatso as your nickname, just because some ancestor was a little plump. Yeah. So, that was the name he got, but surprise, surprise, Fatso would become to known as the richest man in Rome, Matteo, and one of the very richest of all times. Some people say Crassus was indeed the richest human being in human history. Richer than Mansa Musa? Richer than Mansa Musa, richer than Bill Gates. That's possible. I thought Mansa Musa. Richer than Elon Musk. I, you know what? You're going online to look. I've looked as well. I see. This is Mansa Musa. I've looked as well, and there are conflicting stories about how much, how much was Crassus really worth. Because when you add up all of his land, all of his financial wealth, all of his liquid wealth, it's, I've seen estimates between $20 billion and $200 billion. Hmm. You're going down the rabbit hole. Mateo but is Mateo on... Musa is worth about $400 billion. Okay, well, maybe this is a conversation for an episode for a later date. Maybe we could do a little spin-off okay. on the subject. But at any rate, this guy, Mateo, he was a pleb. He was born into a plebian family, but he was born into an ancient and highly respected family. His gens was the Lysinia. He was the second of three sons. Okay, Mateo is looking at a list of the wealthiest people. I know, I've spent a lot of time trying to pin this down as well. 4.6 trillion, oh my God. And 4.6, who, for Julius Caesar? No, for Augustus. Uh, for Augustus Caesar? Yeah, that would pretty much put him at the top of the list. Anyway, come back to me, come back to me. Yeah. Crassus was the second of three sons, Mateo. His father was also Publius Licinius Crassus. He was a highly respected senator. He was a former consul. His dad had received a triumph, Monteo, which was a really big deal. Yet, they were a family of humble means. He hadn't accumulated great wealth. The dad hadn't. Yeah. In the social wars, Crassus's younger brother, uh, older brother was killed. So that left two brothers. Then his younger brother, Monteo, and his dad were both killed by old man Marius Damn. during the civil war. So he must have not liked him. It would definitely change your opinion about the man. That's probably why he was a Solite. Without a doubt. And the little that the Crassus family had were seized by the Marian party. The fortune and their properties were seized. Crassus was about 18, 19 years old when this happened, Mateo. He had no family and he was broke. And his first move was to marry his dead brother's widow. Ooh. Tertula. Okay. And he would be married to her all his life and had his family with her. Did she already have kids? With a brother? I don't believe so. What do you think about that? That's a little weird. A little peculiar. And so those are the origins of Crassus before he really emerges into the spotlight. And if you go to our website, listeners, www.lostromanheroes.com, you're going to see an, uh, an image of Crassus. It's a bust of Crassus. Mateo, I'm going to ask you the question, and I can already guess your answer. What do you see when you look at this? Literally, everybody looks the same, so... They all, they... I don't know. They all had the same barber. There was only, yeah, there was only one haircut available at the shop. <laughs> there, was, there was definitely one popular haircut. And it, it's like the Caesar cut, right? A little brush forward. But why? Why? It doesn't look good. No, it doesn't look great. 
I guess it's easy to maintain. Maybe. <coughs> I guess so. No, oh, dude, the cough. Yeah. At any rate, that is Crassus until the curtain really rises on him. And Mateo, the curtain rises in 87 BC. And where do you think the curtain rises on Fatso? Uh, so, well, with Sulla, right? Actually, no. Before Sulla. The curtain rises in Hispania. Because that's where Crassus fled Mateo when old man Marius was purging all the people that were suspected of being friendly with Sulla. Right. So his dad had been killed, his brother had been killed, he married his brother's sister, and he fled to Hispania. Now his father had been, I believe, a tribune in Hispania many years before, so he had sort of a reputation and connections. And he was able to raise a small army, Mateo, of 2,500 soldiers from dad's old clients, from his old friends. Okay. And what do you think Fatso did with his 2,500 soldiers? Marched on Rome. No. He started extorting money from the locals. Oh, isn't that what Sertorius stopped in Spain? No, this was before Sertorius got there. So Crassus starts, he's broke, but he has connections, and he uses muscle to start... It's like the mafia. He starts a little mafia protection gig in Hispania. Mm. Starts making some money. Things are looking a little bit better. Over in Italy, Cinna dies. Sulla starts returning. And Crassus decides that this is his moment. So he returned to Italy. Got there around the same time as Sulla. Actually, a little bit before. With his soldiers? With his soldiers, yeah. And he joined up with a young guy named Pompey. Or Pompey. Is it Pompey or Pompey? I don't know, because people say Pompey. People do say Pompey. Pompey. Yeah, because it's Pompeius Magnus, right? Yeah. Po- Should we go with Pompey? I mean, I'm because just going to say Pompey. Let's do it. Pompey or Pompey? I don't know. Just say however you want. <laughs> All right. So he joins up with Pompey, who's a super young kid, but a talented uh, uh, military man against Carbo, who was the Marian consul, and they beat Carbo. He also took a little town in Umbria at this time, Matteo, called Todi. Today it's called Todi. I don't know what it was called at the time. And Crassus was accused of taking all the plunder for himself. News that got back to Sula as well. So you get, like, we had a few early indications that this guy was very much focused on rebuilding the family fortune and then some money meant a lot to him right then we know at the battle of the colline gate Matteo, which was that key battle in front of the gates of rome where sula was about to lose the battle against the samnites and the romans and crassus was able to defeat the left wing and turn around sula's fortunes save the day right So Crassus wasn't a natural military man necessarily, but he came through in a key moment for Sulla. Maybe he even saved Sulla's life. And you can imagine after that, how would you feel after doing that? Like, like I'm the shit? I don't know. (laughs) Right. And what would you expect from Sulla? Uh, Grateful. Grateful and like rewards are coming my way, right? Yeah. Well, he will be disappointed. Why? Because, Mateo, for some reason, and we'll dig into it more in Pompey's episode, Sulla 
always saw Pompey first. Yeah, and that, that's why Crassus hated him. Yes. And Pompey always stole his glory. Somehow always stole his glory. Like, Pompey had something about him that drew people to him. He was brilliant in the field. And Crassus felt like he deserved all the glory after that <laughs> battle at the Colline Gate, and somehow it didn't happen. But at any rate, he's in Rome now, Matteo. And mm. Sulla's in charge. And we know where we are right now in history. Sulla is cleaning shop, right? Mm-hmm. He is getting rid of all the Marians. He is purging, so he's actually killing Marians. He's seizing their property. And Crassus might not have received a triumph. His dad did receive a triumph. But we know that, and this is something that bugged him, because he may have become the wealthiest man in Rome, and, and we're going to see how, but the ultimate sign of prestige in ancient Rome was what? Uh, money? No. Purple clothes? <laughs> no. Triumph and war, right? Oh. Remember yeah. the early days where people were glory. just, all they wanted was, yeah, military glory. And so he hadn't had it yet. Yeah. And Sula, by the way, when they started taking control of the city, Sula's, uh, Sula's in charge he married Pompey to his stepdaughter. Not Crassus. But Crassus said, okay, okay, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. I know he likes me. Let's focus on, like, what can I accomplish here? And what he could accomplish was seizing wealth, accumulating wealth. Right. right so Sula is purging and prescribing, and Crassus is there on the side, Mateo, buying up assets on the cheap. So let's say that you are a friend of Marius, okay? I post something in the forum saying that this dude, you, need to die. Crassus was right there on the wings purchasing properties of friends of Marius at rock-bottom prices. Right. And in fact, Crassus was going one step further. He was accusing people of being friends of Marius, even if they weren't so that they would get killed, assets seized, assets that he could buy. Damn, he really was like a mafioso. He was. And so this guy that became the wealthiest man in Rome, one of the wealthiest men in history, got his start, Matteo, during a bloody time in the history of Rome, taking advantage of the purge. But it didn't stop there. Because he got all this money, seized money, money that wasn't his, Mateo, and then he invested it shrewdly. He invested in slave trading. Good stuff, right? Always. He invested in silver mines. Actually, don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay, I'm afraid, I'm afraid you're quoted already. And he also started buying real estate, Mateo, and he became the biggest landowner in Rome. By a long shot. But there's one thing else that he did. One thing else? That's not English, really. There's one additional thing he did, Mateo, which I think you're going to love. Firefighting. Really? I thought Rome already had fire brigades. No. No, no. Rome did not have fire brigades. In fact, there was no... uh, At this point, Rome had no formal firefighting force. So... The first firefighters were established by Fatso himself. 500-man strong firefighting brigade. 
and listen to this, you're gonna love this. When a fire broke out, Crassus and his firefighters would show up at the fire. Okay. Right? So he's yeah. got 500 men. Just to, let's let's just think about this for a second. You own a home. Right. It is everything that matters to you. Your family is there. All of your wealth is in this home. A fire breaks out. You think that the end is near, and Crassus shows up with 500 firefighters, and you're feeling, like, yay, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you going to be able to finish this? What do you mean? You're very yawny and, and like, sleepy. I just don't feel good. I know you don't feel good. Come on. We can do this. Yeah, I never said I couldn't. We can do this. Just continue talking. Get, stop getting off topic. All right. <laughs> I'll try to stay on topic then. So, Crassus shows up with his 500 firefighters. Your house is burning down. And he said, hey, Mateo, don't worry, buddy. Don't worry. I will put out this fire for a price. Classic. Uh-huh. And if Mateo said um, no, or actually I don't, I can't meet your price. Was the okay. price always like outrageous? It was outrageous. And if you paid it, he would put out the fire and the property is yours. But the truth is, You're broke, he didn't want you to pay it. So if you didn't pay, Crassus would stand there, watch the house burn down, and then he would make an offer to buy the ruins of your house from you. Because at that point, you had nothing, right? You got wiped out in the fire. Right. Then he would buy the ruins, rebuild the house, and then he would rent it back to you. So now your house is my house, and I'm going to rent it to you. I'm your landlord now, and you need to pay me every month. Um, he's like a loan shark. Nice guy, right? No, he's not a nice guy. Not a nice guy. It's mafia things. Mafia. But you know what the weird thing is? And maybe this is kind of mafia, too. He was an affable guy he would walk down the street and he would say hello to everyone he knew everyone's name and everyone knew him and he would say hello to the senators and he would say hello to the butcher and the most humble people on the street it's a lot like could you it's a lot like the like you said it's like Don Corleone walking down the streets of Brooklyn and giving shout outs to everybody on the street right so that affability, Mateo, shadowed his truth. And he had a shrewd eye, and he was phenomenally greedy. As Plutarch said, the Romans, it is true, say that the many virtues of Crassus, because he had virtues, were obscured by his sole vice of avarice. And it's likely that the one vice, which became stronger than all the others in him, weakened the rest. He was avaricious. He was. He was. that money, money. Mm, yeah. So, at any rate, very quickly, he became the wealthiest man in Rome, the wealthiest place on the face of planet Earth. And depending upon the list that you find online right now, if you Google him, he's in the top 10 of all times. And yet, and this is the weird thing, he lived simply. He ate simply. He wow. wasn't accumulating wealth to flaunt it like some Roman emperors we will see in the not-too-distant future, he wanted wealth to have wealth. And he was actually generous with his wealth. He made loans to many. He was probably a loan shark. But he didn't charge interest on those loans. I think it's what you said. He was making loans and using his money for influence. He wanted to be important. So now, he has the money, Matteo. 
Now it's time to use that money for the ultimate objective, and the ultimate objective is fame. And we've been seeing it for the last 18 episodes. In ancient Rome, the ultimate objective was fame and glory, and that ultimately means success, military success. Crassus had tried before. He helped Sulla win a great victory, but somehow it just didn't translate for him like it did for Pompey. So he decided to go another route. He entered politics. He had the name, he had the money, he had a friend, Sulla. He was sort of popular in Rome. Right. Like maybe Pompey is bigger on the battlefield, but in the city of Rome, Crassus was bigger. Right. So in 73 BC, Matteo, Crassus was elected to his first public office, his first magistracy. He was elected praetor. That's and, pretty good. Yeah. And he started climbing the rungs of what was known in ancient Rome as the cursus honorum, which is basically the ladder of offices that would lead you ultimately to the top, and the top was was consul. So now, he has the office, he has the money, the only thing he's missing is... The glory. The glory. And a guy named Spartacus is about to give it to him. Well... Did you just get chills? No, but he's not actually about to give it to him. He's, he's going to give him the opportunity. Let's see if he actually gets it. robbed. Yeah, because what's, what Crassus needs is a war, right? He right. needs a war and he needs military command. And that brings us to what's known in history as the Third Servile War. Right. Or Spartacus's Revolt. Right. I know everybody listening that your ears just perked up. We all know of Spartacus. Like, that's a name that echoes through time. Everybody on the face of the planet must know the name Spartacus. Okay, maybe not everyone. Did Mel Gibson act as Spartacus? No. Who, who acted as Spartacus? No, 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 no. It wasn't Mel Gibson. It was uh, Kirk oh, Douglas. No, Mel Gibson yeah. literally does everybody. Kirk Douglas. Old movie, Kirk Douglas. Which we've never watched together. We so, should probably watch it. Well, I've watched it. Okay. Well, we can watch it together. I don't think I've ever seen it, actually. There's no way I swear we watched it. It's black and white. No, no, not that one, then. There's like, I'm talking about the newer one. So, Spartacus's revolt, Matteo, began in the year 73 BC. And to our listeners, we're going to be covering this in more detail from mm-hmm. Spartacus's perspective in our next episode. But in the year that this revolt broke out, Crassus had just become praetor. And it was essentially a slave revolt led by gladiators and slaves and the oppressed of what had quickly become the Roman Empire. Now, we've talked, Matteo, many times about Rome had the slave problem, right? Mm -hmm. In the sense that once upon a time, the people doing work in the fields were... Roman. Yeah, they were Roman or, or native Italians. At this point... Thanks to foreign conquest, hundreds of thousands of slaves had been brought to Italy over the last hundred plus years. Spartacus was from Thrace, right? He was from Thrace. Yeah. Slaves did all the work on farms. Slaves did all the work in homes. They fought in the arenas, like Spartacus, as gladiators. And this revolt was led by, as you said, a man from Thrace who may or may not have been a former Roman soldier, Matteo. We don't really know. We'll talk about it more in the next episode. 
What does the name Spartacus mean, do you think? Uh, From Sparta? No, not Sparta. It, 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 was a, it was a known name of a tribe in Thrace. And, oh, the Spartans? And, and, and maybe, no, not the Spartans. They were called the Medi. And maybe he was part of the ruling class or nobility of this tribe, but the tribe was a nomadic tribe. So it wasn't that they were, you know, they weren't a landed tribe, with, you know, people with big cities and, and, and what we would mm-hmm. consider to be civilized. But we're going to talk about that more next episode. All right. So by the time that Crassus comes into this story, Mateo, and we're a story that we'll talk about more next episode, Spartacus had already defeated multiple legions. Mm-hmm. Spartacus had defeated two consuls right. in the field. Right. Nobody else wanted this command. There were no volunteers in the Senate to go after Spartacus and his army of 70 to 100,000 ex-slaves, gladiators, tough guys right. that were fighting for their freedom. Yeah. And Crassus, only wanted glory, saw his chance. Right. So... He told the Senate, hey, 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 not only will I volunteer, but I'll spend my own money to raise the troops. I'm in. I'll take charge. I'll take on this dude, Spartacus. Does not scare me. The Senate agreed and sent Crassus into battle. Mm. Now, at the beginning, Mateo, of the Servile War, Crassus also struggled. And in their fir- his, one of his first encounters with this massive force commanded by Spartacus, part of Crassus's army fled from battle. So, what did nice guy Crassus do? Do you remember, Mateo, the concept of decimation? Decimation? Yeah, it was not even a single surviving soul. Like, just wiped out of the face of the earth. No. Close. But it's actually... Oh, decimation, like the act they would do? Yeah. When, in, in, the, in the Roman military, when they okay, decimate... Yeah, I remember, I remember. When they decimate a legion or whatever, they kill, like, a certain... Like, well, it says there, but... Yes. One out of ten people yes. are dead. Exactly. So they take their own army and kill one out of every ten, which was an ancient Roman practice. We haven't talked about it before. Mm. And the purpose was to chasten the army but not wipe out the army. So if you don't follow my command, if you don't stand up in battle... If you tried to flee, you will die just like your buddy to your left that I just killed. Yeah. So, Crassus, not a military guy. He goes deep and brutal in his first campaign, and morale after the decimation... Through the roof. It improved. Because the army saw that Crassus, the general, was more dangerous than Spartacus, the enemy. Right. At this point... Spartacus is retreating to the south, Matteo. He went to the southwestern Italy to Brutium, which is today Calabria, the toe of the boot. And Crassus pursued him south. And when he saw that Spartacus was sort of trapped in the toe, he built a 40-mile-long system of walls and trenches all the way across the toe from sea to sea to prevent Spartacus's escape. That's... That's taking it maybe taking it a little too far. Building, I mean, it was palisade walls, though, right? Yeah, palisade walls and, and a massive ditch. Okay, but crazy how we, we were able to do that two thousand years ago. We could barely do that today. It is true, and we're going to see even crazier stuff 
with Julius Caesar in Gaul in terms of his, his military engineering. Yeah. So Spartacus has trapped Matteo in the tow. It's winter time, so he's having a very hard time feeding his troops. And he knows that he has no choice. He needs to break through. In the middle of a so- snowstorm, Matteo, late at night, he built some kind of makeshift bridge across the ditch, and he was able to escape entrapment. At this point, Crassus asked the Senate for help. He asked the Senate to recall Pompey and Vero Lucullus to Italy because he needed backup. But almost as soon as the guy penned the letter and sent it out, he was starting to regret it. Why? I know you can guess this. Why would he have regretted asking for help? He didn't want to share glory. Yes. For Crassus, it was all about the glory his entire life. It's like the guy had everything, right? Mm-hmm. He had, he was respected in Rome, the wealthiest man on the face of the planet. He had friends in high places. He was a senator, and he still wanted more. There's that that, that little missing piece. So, in other words, Crassus knew that he needed to move quickly because he wanted to finish off Spartacus before, before, before Pompey showed up on the scene. And that brings us to the Battle of the Solarius River, Matteo, in 71 BC. <clears throat> Spartacus is fleeing, Crassus is in pursuit, and we have two armies, Matteo, that consisted of 40,000 seasoned Roman soldiers. This is, these are the best of the best. These are hardened troops. They're exceptionally disciplined. They're tough. They act in unison. Right. And they're going up against 50,000 escaped slaves. How many of those slaves do you think were gladiators? It's a great question. And I don't think we know the answer. But, and we'll talk about it more next episode. But amongst them were gladiators who were hardcore tough guys. Mm-hmm. You had some ex-legionaries, so guys that had served in the Roman legions. But then they didn't get citizenship. But in the social war, they wound up choosing the wrong side. Mm. But you also had shepherds and farmers, slaves that worked farms, and the oppressed. So it's not clear how, like, what did the core of that force really consist of? We'll talk about it more next week. Suffice it to say that Roman losses were heavy. But Crassus won the day, Matteo. He won the day. The slave army was crushed. 6,000 slaves were captured, and Spartacus was presumed dead, but his body was never recovered. So? Which is, I think, a crazy cool mystery. Like, what if he survived? Did he lie on the field of battle? Did Spartacus wind up escaping? That'd be a pretty crazy story. Did he live on? Did he make it to Gaul, perhaps? Because they were trying to move north and move into Gaul. Did he pull it off? Did he make it over the Alps? At any rate, Crassus Matteo shows his true colors here. And I know you know what comes next. What did he do with those 6,000 captured slaves? He had them all crucified on the Appian Way. Yes. We walked on that Appian Way. Yeah, I remember seeing that in the movie I watched, which was not black and white. Yeah? Yep. So he did exactly as you said. On the entire approach to Rome, from Calabria up north to the city, he had those 6,000 captured slaves 
crucified, and he left them on the crosses, hanging there to rot, sending a message to all of the oppressed and enslaved in Italy. Don't mess with us. There were a few thousand slaves that actually did escape Matteo the battle and weren't captured, and Pompey arrived right after the last battle to clean up the remaining escaped slaves and wiped them out just in time for him to write a letter to the Senate, Matteo, saying, yeah, Crassus defeated the slaves, but I ended the war. Okay. And the Senate bought it. I don't know how, though. Like, all he did was catch some runaways. I don't know. He was just better at PR, I suppose. And it added to this chip that Crassus already had against Pompey. Because he was robbed of all of his glory. Yeah. Your little technical tip, you're talking over there to the left. Oh, he was robbed of all of his glory, which we would... Actually, I'm not going to spoil, but we're going to see him try to win it back again. Yes, we are going to see it. And he kept getting... Pompey always knew how to outmaneuver him in these matters. So, despite Crassus's hunger for glory, Matteo, he sort of won a war, but he didn't ask for a triumph. He got something called an ovation when he got to Rome, which meant he got to sort of walk through the streets and, and people clapped as he walked by. But it wasn't really a big deal because he defeated slaves. This wasn't the Punic War, you know? All right. So there, there was inherently less glory to his triumph. So he's still missing the triumph. And Crassus and Pompey continue to butt heads because guess what? Pompey got a triumph in that moment. He got a triumph. Do you know why? Because he ended the war? No. Remember, he just came back from Spain. Who was Pompey fighting in Spain? Do you remember? Last episode? Sertorius? Yeah. Oh. Now, he didn't kill Sertorius. Sertorius was killed by one of his own men. But still, Pompey came back and got the triumph for something that he didn't do. And it gets even better, Mondeo. It gets better. Because right after he got the triumph, Pompey was awarded a consulship after the war. Mm. Even though he was only 34 years old. Legal. Yeah. Old rules are out the freaking window. And he got... Well, actually, I'll, I'll let you say And Crassus. Crassus, the wealthiest man in Rome, powerful Crassus, came to Pompey and said, Hey, buddy, buddy, could you help me get elected consul as well? We could be consuls together. And Pompey said, yeah, I'll do it. Because he kind of liked having Crassus under his thumb and in his debt. So, in the year 70 BC, both Crassus and Pompey served as consul, Matteo. And Crassus the consul, like, really showed off. Right. He's like, yeah. He seems like he's a logistics guy. Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's the money man. Super shrewd, super smart. He distributed food to feed every Roman family for three months. That would make him... Out of his own pocket? Yeah, out of his own pocket. Make him popular in the city, wouldn't you say? Yeah. He held feasts, public sacrifices to Hercules. I don't know why Hercules. Maybe it was his like, patron saint of Roman gods. So these guys are both consuls, but friction continued. And it was obvious to the people, Mate. It was obvious on the streets. The little man and the big man, everybody knew that these two were butting heads. Right. One of the things that happened, Mateo, and very little happened of import when they were both consuls, 
But one key thing is the Tribune of the Plebs regained the ability to veto the Senate. Remember, Sulla had super downgraded the power of the Tribunes of the Plebs because he was want, wanted to elevate the Senate over the people. Right. Somehow, under Sulla and Pompey, this law was Crassus. repealed. Uh, sorry, no. Crassus. So, sorry, Crassus and Pompey. You're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because Sulla had died eight years before. And so all the stuff that Sulla did, eight years later, it was already starting to be unwound. Now. Crazy. It is. I don't understand why. Why did they do why this? Would this? Why would the senators go back to doing that if they knew it didn't work out for them? I don't know, Mateo. Okay. I don't know. I don't have an answer. So on one of the last days of their consulship, in the assembly of the plebs, a Roman knight stood up and he said that he had a dream. And in that dream, he said that Jupiter spoke to him. And Jupiter said, I want Pompey and Crassus to be friends. Maybe not in that voice. To which... <laughs> no? <laughs> I doubt it, though. So, <laughs> Crassus responded to this knight and said, Hey, fellow citizens... There's nothing, because these two, they're basically not talking at this point, Pompey but and Crassus. Romans didn't have knights, though. Yeah, the equestrian class. They were equities. They were knights. Okay. Pompey and Crassus were basically not talking at this point. And when Crassus heard this guy's appeal, he said, Hey, fellow citizens, there's nothing humiliating or unworthy in my taking the first step towards goodwill and friendship with Pompey, to whom you gave the title of great, because he's being called Pompeius Magnus before he had grown a beard and before he had voted him a triumph and before he was a senator. So Crass is saying, okay, okay, guys, you think this guy is so very special, so I will come down off my high horse and make nice nice. Hmm. With Pompey, he was always trying, like, to rise above this thing that was bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. Right. But it was going to get harder. Because now, Matteo, in 65 B.C., we have the dawn of... The undoer. The, yeah, the undoer. So in 65 BC, Crassus was back in public office. He was elected censor. And during this time, he had a young little buddy, little buddy, that he was helping to, to fund. Yeah. He was his protege. Hmm. We know who the little buddy was. Just call him... Gaius. Mm-hmm. Julius. Mm-hmm. Caesar... Caesar, who would eventually be the name of a good salad. Mm. <laughs> a very fine salad. Let's call him JC for now. All right. Crassus was betting on, it's like betting on a no, horse. No, because JC sounds like Jesus Christ. So. Now, that's also true. I hadn't really put those two and two together before. Uh, well, we'll think of a good nickname for him GC, between now and then. GC, GC. JC. Guys, Caesar. GC. Okay. We could do GC. So Crassus was betting on a horse, and the horse was GC. GC was just back from his first governorship, Matteo. Yeah. And this guy, we're going to see in the next, let's see, one, two, three, four episodes, how he completely outmaneuvers not just the Senate, not just the entire apparatus of the Republic, but outmaneuvers these two big guys. Yep. Pompey and Crassus. He was playing uh, mental warfare on a different level. Oh, yeah. It was like three-dimensional chess, and everybody else was playing checkers. So 
to accomplish his goals, and his goals were ultimate power, right? right. We talked about it in Sula's episode, how GC would make fun of Sula for renouncing his dictatorship for life. Yeah. So that was his goal from the get-go, I think. But to get there, he needed Pompey and Crassus, the two most powerful men in Rome. So he worked very hard to reconcile the two, to bring them close together, to make them bud-buds again. I don't know what bud-buds are. That just popped out of my mouth. Okay, nice. Yeah. So we're going to see more of it from Caesar's perspective in his episode. But in 60 BC, Matteo, the deal was struck. The secret cabal. You love secret cabals. What's a cabal? A secret cabal is like a secret little... A society or a secret oh, yeah. little, uh, agreement, little right? Group. Yeah, yeah, little group. And this secret cabal was known as the first triumvirate. It consisted of three members: Mr. Crassus, Fatso himself, fifty-five years old, Matteo. It consisted old. of. Pom- yeah, I always thought. I always thought that Crassus was younger than Pompey. Yeah, no, he was nine years older. Pompey was forty-six years old, and GC was 40 years old. What was their objective? The objective of the triumvirate. What would you say? To control the world. Pretty much. And they did. So with the support of Pompey and Crassus, GC, I'm feeling uncomfortable with calling him GC. Okay, well, I'm not going to call him JC. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we'll just call him Caesar. Okay, fine. We'll just call him Caesar. With the support of Pompey and Crassus, Caesar became consul in 59 BC, Matteo. Now, why would Crassus and Pompey agree to this? According to Plutarch, I love this. According to Plutarch, Pompey did all this from an unbounded love of power. But to that ancient infirmity of Crassus, his avarice, there was now added a fresh and ardent passion in view of the glorious exploits of Caesar for trophies and triumphs. In these alone, he thought himself inferior to Caesar but superior in everything else. So, Pompey just wants power, and somehow elevating Caesar is going to bring him more power. But for Crassus, no. This was a path, Matteo, for military glory. Again, Mm. it's his entire focus. The triumvirate, which remained secret in the beginning, I don't know if you knew this, the Senate didn't know, it wasn't like an open agreement in the beginning. I never thought it was an open agreement. Yeah. Oh, you didn't? No. Uh, I thought it was sort I of think a known thing. the end, I guess, but I thought it was always like a secret. Well, then you were right, and I was unaware of it before I did my research for this episode. So together, they started colluding, ramming through mutually beneficial laws. Pompey's vets got land, which made him more powerful. Caesar was assigned the governorship of Gaul. More on that to come in, in future episodes. Yeah. And and finally, the Senate started to get a sense that something is going on with these guys, and a group formed to oppose them, consisting of the three C's, Matteo. Cato. Oh, this guy just never dies. (laughs) This is is an ancestor of Cato, but it is a Cato. They're always so annoying. He's going to be even more annoying than his ancestor, Cicero and Catullus, the three C's. And despite the friction in the triumvirate, the three the three dudes stuck together. Stuck? They stuck together. And oh, it, wow. Sorry, it just, well, it came out sort of Scottish. That actually wasn't even that bad. It wasn't. I'm not going to try to repeat it. Let's just leave it out there. In 55 BC, Crassus and Pompey are re-elected consuls. Caesar gets his governorship in, Renal, in Gaul renewed for five more years. 
right? Which is his little playground. Oh, and he's having fun there, right? Yeah. We're going to really dig into his time in Gaul. Pompey has given Spain to milk, presumably. Right. And our boy Crassus, Fatso. Maybe it's not fair to call him Fatso, but... And, and I don't want to offend anybody who is on the plumper side. However, it is his cognomen. I'm not inventing anything. Crassus means fat. So am I okay? Yeah, you're fine. I'm not going to get canceled? No. Good. So for our boy Crassus, what does he get? His dream job, Matteo. He got his dream job. Go. Syria. Yeah, that would uh, eventually be his undoing. Hmm. Let's go there. So Crassus got Syria, Matteo. Rich, distant Syria. And Syria had many things going for it, but perhaps the most attractive thing going for it from his perspective, Matteo, was a land border with Parthia. The other eye. The other eye. So to our listeners... Parthia is essentially ancient Persia. Fair, fair to say? Yeah. Now, before leaving Rome to take up his job in Syria, Matteo, Crassus already made it clear from the get-go that, hey, guys, you gave me Syria? Cool, awesome. But I'm going to wage war against Parthia. But there's a little problem. The Senate did not approve of a war against Parthia. And in fact, the Romans had a peace treaty with Parthia. Mm-hmm. But it was just too juicy a target. It's like a super, super fat cow. Yes. He's thinking burgers. And in fact, at this point, Matteo, Caesar, who's in Gaul, raping, pillaging, and doing what Caesar did in Gaul, wrote a letter to his fellow triumvirate, or triumvir, saying, hey, Crassus, great idea. Love the idea. Definitely go after Parthia. So Crassus has all the support he needs. Maybe Pompey didn't love the idea, but he didn't object. And on Julius the, Caesar loved the idea because he was also waging illegal wars in Gaul. I think so. He probably said, let's, let's all get our hands dirty here. Go for it, dude. As long as you don't mess with me. So... On the day that Crassus was going to leave Rome, Matteo, various tribunes of the plebs... So imagine this. Crassus is walking down the street. He is walking towards the gate to leave the city, to head to the Adriatic, to hop on a boat, to sail to Syria. And tribunes of the plebs, and presumably their tough guys, came out into the streets and tried to physically stop Crassus from leaving town. Like, roughing him up. Right. Blocking his way. Right. So much so, dude, poor guy, your nose yeah, is super stuffed. Yeah, blow my stuff. nose really quickly. Okay, go, go blow your nose really quickly. So, Mateo, so much so that Crassus had to go to Pompey's house and had to ask Pompey's help to help him physically get out of the city. Pompey said fine, and he literally, Mateo, literally walked Crassus to the gates of Rome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And nobody's going to mess with Pompey. They're all like a bunch of mafiosos. Completely. I think the analogy is perfect. But according to Plutarch, Matteo, there was one guy that wasn't afraid. One guy, one tribune of the plebs. His name was Atius. 
And seeing he couldn't stop Crassus, he, and this is a quote from Plutarch, ran on ahead to the city gate, and he placed there a blazing brazier. Brazier. Brazier? Brazier is? No. Brazier. Brazier, yeah. That, I think, sorry. I, I, that is when brazier is something else. A blazing brazier. And when Crassus came up, this guy, Atias, cast incense and libations upon it and invoked curses, which were dreadful and terrifying in themselves and were reinforced by sundry, strange, and dreadful gods, whom he summoned and called by name. The Romans say that these mysterious and ancient curses have such power that no one involved in them ever escapes. And nothing happened to the guy that placed the curses? We don't know what happened to the guy that placed the curses, but we know what happened to the guy that was cursed. Yep. Yeah. And I would, that's, I would never wish that on my worst enemy. No. And here we are. Crassus is one last shot at glory, Matteo. It's November 55 BC. Crassus arrives at Brundisium, modern Brindisi, with his troops. Very rough winter seas. This was not the time to make the crossing, Matteo. This is the time to hunker down in winter quarters and wait. But Crassus refused to wait. He started sending ships. Many of the ships were lost. But Crassus successfully made the crossing, and he marched overland through Galatia, or Galatia, to Syria. Right. Along the way, he met the king of Galatia, called King Deotarus. Deotarus was building a new city, but he was an old guy. He was an old man. And Crassus said something snide to him, like, building a new city in the twelfth hour, I see, king, a bit late. To which the king responded, and you are not marching on Parthia early in the day. Early in the day of his life, that is. And he was right. Crassus was an old, old dude at this point. Crassus was not a military man. And Crassus was going to wage war against the orders of the Senate. But he expected it to be a cakewalk, Matteo. After all, who was going to stand up to Rome, especially in the East? Rome had always been successful against Eastern armies. You know, Mithridates, the, the, the Pontic Wars, uh, the Armenians... Uh, why couldn't Crassus do the same? Once in Syria, instead of marching straight to Parthia, Matteo, and catching them by surprise, he made winter quarters. So he hurried up when he should have waited, and when he should have waited, he hurried up. I have a question. Uh, um, what would be the capital of the province, like Damascus? I think so. Why didn't he just go and chill in the capital for a bit? I think it would be Damascus at that point. Why didn't he go? I don't know. I don't know, and, and I'm, I imagine in the historical record we know where he camped. I think I read it, but I don't recall. And I know it wasn't Damascus. But I'm not certain where. But the point here is that he made winter quarters, and he gave the Parthians time to prepare. They didn't know he was coming. If maybe, if he had marched straight into Parthia, straight to war, he would have had the edge, the advantage, the, the element of surprise. But he camped in Syria... And the king of Parthia at this point, his name was King Orosdes II, learned of his enemy's approach. And this was not a man to be trifled with. He began preparing. For war. Right. Winter ended. Crassus made an alliance one day with the king of Armenia, a guy by the name of Artabazes. I love Armenian names. And Artabazes said, hey, Crassus, we're friends. We're friends. And in fact... 
I will give you an extra 40,000 troops if you take the safe route through Armenia into Persia. Come through the mountains. I'll give you extra men. It'll be comfy and cushy and safe, and you'll be able to avoid the desert. It's a long route, but it's safer. And what did our boy Crassus say? Same thing that the stupid crusaders did. A thousand two hundred years later. Yes. Let's march through the desert. That's, you're so right. Ah. Are we going to be able to keep this going to get to the the point of the crusade? That'd be pretty cool. Who were the heroes in the crusade? I have one guy in mind. Alexios? Yes. Yeah, but what was his... I um, think he was. What was his uh, marshal named? The one that basically, like, Ah. he went with the crusaders. Yes. What was his name? How did you know that? Well, I actually I know because I watched a, a video on the um, Kings and Generals YouTube channel. Seriously? Yeah. Will you send it to me? Yeah, I will. So that's the guy that accompanied them to Antioch, that, that yeah. guided them along the way. Yep. He was a cool dude. He was a cool guy. I forgot his name. I forgot his name too, actually. Oh, we need to make certain that we have him out there and we can put him on our list of heroes to cover. Yeah. Because he's a definite lost Roman hero. Definitely, yeah, for sure. So... Crassus Mateo says to Artabazes, what do you know, dude? You only live here. I'm going to go straight into the desert because yeah. that seems like a really great idea. And I won't take the extra 40000 Thank yeah. you very much. No, thanks very much. I'll just go with my men. So they get to the Euphrates, Mateo, and many bad omens. So remember the curse we just saw at the gates of Rome? It was a nasty curse, right? Yeah. So here we start to see the curse in action. According to Plutarch, many ex- when he arrived at the Euphrates... Many extraordinary peals of thunder crashed about them. Many flashes of lightning also darted in their faces. And a wind, half mist and half hurricane, fell upon their rafts, breaking them up and shattering them in many places. The place where he was intending to encamp was also smitten by two thunderbolts. And one of the general's horses, richly caparisoned, violently dragged its groom along with it into the river and disappeared beneath the waves. It is said also that the first eagle, which was raised aloft, faced about of its own accord. So everybody and their mother is telling him not to go, basically. Yes. The gods are speaking. Mateo, hypothetical question. What would you have done when you see the eagle flip around and people are drowning and lightning is crashing? I probably would have taken my stuff, put on my glasses, and walked to the opposite direction. <laughs> put on your sunglasses and said, I'm out of peace here. out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know that Crassus did precisely exactly the opposite. And to make things worse, Mateo, he was relying on the advice of a local chieftain who was secretly in the pay of the Parthians. So the guy that was guiding them, the guy that said, let's do the desert, don't worry, the desert is amazing in summer. This is the middle of summer. Why do Roman armies always fall susceptible to this BS? I don't know. It's always the one, yeah, let's trust this random chieftain whose people we're trying to exterminate. But you know what, the, the random chieftain was somebody that had been an ally of Pompey in, in, a, in a past battle. So he was somebody that had, he was done work with the Romans before. So they had some, there was some reason why he yeah, trusted so him. so did that guy in the Tudorburg Forest. Really well, yeah, fun. you're right, absolutely right. Just like the Tudorburg Forest. So Crassus trusted this dude, whose name I did not write down, I'm sorry. And not only did the guy say, hey, the desert is a great place in summer, let's go there. He also said, let's go really quickly. No, let's not get ready. Let's rush into this. 
before the Parthians can get ready. Now, Crassus had Mateo, a, a general, his legate, a guy by the name of Cassius. And Cassius tried to stop Crassus, saying, don't trust this barbarian chieftain, dude. He is not to be trusted. And Crassus ignored him. So they started marching away from the Euphrates, Mateo, deep into the desert, where they saw no plant, no stream, no projection of sloping hill, and no growing grass, but only sea-like billows of innumerable desert sand heaps enveloping the army. The day, Mateo, was June 9th, 53 BC. Let me set the scene. Okay? Mm. It's the middle of summer, Mateo. The middle of summer in the desert. The Roman army consisted of about 40,000 men, more or less. 35,000 heavy infantry, 4,000 light infantry, 4,000 cavalry. So you essentially have a force on foot walking into the desert in the middle of summer. With heavy armor. And you've been rushing. You've been marching all day after a terrible crossing of the Euphrates. You're now in the desert, scorching, running low on water. Morale's not great. Nobody knows exactly where they're going. And you're old. You're old. Our commander's not an experienced general. And why are we going to war again? I don't think the Senate wanted us to do this. All of a sudden, Crassus' scouts start coming back to him, Matteo. They had found tracks in the sand. Tracks suggesting that many horsemen, maybe thousands of horsemen, had been approaching your spot. They had turned, and they charged back into the desert. Scary. Worrisome. Crassus. Oh, good signs. Yeah, this is all good signs. Yeah, let's, let's keep going, guys. Let's keep walking to the desert. <laughs> so again, Crassus is general. This guy named Gaius Cassius Longinus suggested... Oh, Longinus. It's an important name in history. It is an important name in history. It's a great name. He suggested that now is the time for caution. Hey, Crassus, let's retreat. Let's retrench. Let's figure out what's going on here because we clearly don't have the full picture. Again, Crassus said no. They were, they were near a place called Karhai. It's a place called Haran now in modern Turkey. It's in upper Mesopotamia. And they caught sight, finally, a fleeting glimpse of the Parthian army, Mateo, in the distance. It's a small force, far inferior to our Roman, our Roman army, and they're all on horseback. This shouldn't be a problem, right? Yeah, because they're just going to walk up to them, they're going to dismount, and they're going to charge them. <laughs> right? I don't know what these guys are thinking. Yeah. So the Parthian force, Mateo, was led by the Spaved. Spaved is, is a Persian general named Surin. Surin had a force of 10,000 men, Mateo. They were just horsemen with bows. But they weren't just any cavalry, Mateo. These were the famous, legendary Persian cataphracts. Essentially, the immortals. Cataphracti. Hmm. Is that what it is in Greek? In Latin, I think. In Latin? Pretty sure I saw it in the game somewhere. I thought in Latin it was clebanari, was the term for a cat, was heavy, heavy... Um, Maybe I'm just making stuff up. I don't know. Don't listen to me. I don't know. I keep making it up. I like it. So, this was not the main Parthian army, by the way, Mateo, because the king of Parthia had sent the main army up into Armenia to punish the Armenians for... Hanging out with the okay, Romans. Okay, but like, I don't understand. What, what the hell is the point of the alliance if you're not going to take their help or their men? 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, it was Crassus being an ass. Surin's job was just supposed to, he was just supposed to harass the Romans. Don't engage them. You have 10,000 men, they have 40,000. Just, just kind of guerrilla warfare type stuff. Annoy them. Yeah. At this point, our friend Gaius Cassius Longinus, the legate, said again to Crassus, okay, dummy, we're here. We're about to get into a battle. Let's get into our traditional Roman formation. You know, three lines, infantry in the middle, cavalry on the wings, and Crassus, the guy that had essentially no military experience, said, no, 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 let's do something a little different. Let's mix it up, okay? He ordered the box formation. You know the box formation, right? Yeah. Because he didn't want to be flanked by the Persians on horseback. So let's get in a box, everybody facing outwards, and we're That's what just... what Napoleon would do, like, 700 yeah. years later, yeah. I didn't know that Napoleon used the box formation. Yeah. The Romans will use this for the next thousand years periodically. We're going to see it uh, uh, brought back by a guy named Nicephorus in about a thousand years in the East. Oh, yeah, and musket warfare was a big thing. When Napoleon... Ah, uh, the box was a big thing? Yeah. You just taught me something. I didn't know that. Yeah, if you watch uh, the Waterloo movie, which is actually really good. Yes. Because, like, the battles, it's some of the best, like, uh, battles in cinema, cinema, cinematic history. Cinematic history. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, there's thousands of actors, and they all, like, real horses, and it was all, it was all super yeah? cool. Yeah. It was all filmed on an airplane. Filmed on an airplane? Yeah, there's, like, bird's eye views, and you can see, like, the boxes. Oh, really? Yeah. By the way, we haven't seen the new Napoleon movie yet. I heard it's horrible. I've heard it's horrible, too. I heard it's just like a porno, basically. Really? Yeah. Because I've been reading comments on, on Twitter with all the our community of history nerds, and it's been lambasted. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Back to car high in the desert? Yep. So Cassius says, nah, terrible idea. He's overruled by Crassus, who says, we're doing the box. The day's getting late, Matteo. Parthian war drums start beating in the distance. Big hollow drum. Ba, ba, ba. You are a heavy infantryman, so you're covered in armor. You're in the middle of the desert. You've been marching all day from the Euphrates. Your throat is dry. You're drenched in sweat. Why fight now? Why fight now? They've only been marching for a day so far? Yes. This is the same day that they left the Euphrates. Cassius says, Crassus. Let's make camp. Let's put up palisades. Let's rest overnight. We can fight tomorrow. But Crassus had a son with him, Matteo, his only son, a guy by the name of Publius, also thirsty for glory. He was a rising star, and he wanted the win as much as his dad did. And listen to this. Surin, this guy was brilliant. He had his cataphracts, So cataphracts, to our listeners, are heavily armored cavalrymen. Both the soldier was in heavy armor as well as the horse. From toe to tail, the soldiers from top of their head to the tips of their toes, all armor. They were formidable. But Surin had his cataphracts put cloth on top of their armor and on top of the horses. But when they got very close to the Romans, Matteo, they threw aside the cloth. And you can imagine that brilliant desert sun all of a sudden 
beaming off these guys. One second they were sort of muted, the next second it was after the sun itself had come alight. It was like that guy, the human torch from, from uh, the Fantastic Four. It's like they had all turned into the human torch in the blink of an eye. Right. The Romans freaked out. The Parthians started firing upon the Romans again and again and again, and the Romans couldn't maneuver because they were in the box formation. So all they could do, Mate, was play defense. Crassus ordered Testudo. So, shield wall! They all put up their shields, and he thought that if we just hide behind our shields for long enough, eventually these guys have to run out of arrows, right? Right. But no. No, because Soren was smart. And so he had brought a bunch of camels laden with backup arrows. So they had essentially infinite supply of arrows. The Romans couldn't maneuver, and so the Parthians, from a comfortable distance, just shot arrow after arrow after arrow after arrow, picking off the Romans one by one by one. Right. And it's a little bit like what we're going to see later with Valens at Adrianople against the Goths. So wait, the Roman army didn't have any archers either? They did, but they were... Yeah, moving targets. Yeah, and they were infantry. These guys could dash away in the blink of an eye. The Roman cavalry was very small, and they were stuck in this box formation. The Roman cavalry wasn't impressive in this area. And it was not impressive. You're absolutely right. It was not. And it would not be for a long time, maybe until Aurelian. I don't know. Yeah. The Romans were crushed, Matteo. There were 40,000 men that went into battle. 20,000 were killed. Several legionary eagles were captured, which was a truly evil omen for the Romans. 10,000 men were captured, and 10,000 managed to retreat to Syria. Right. Crassus's son, was Publius, was amongst the dead in that first battle. Was that the end of his line? Crassus survived. He was not dead in that battle. Oh, I know that. You knew that? I did. Oh. I actually didn't. I thought he was killed in the battle. I learned, I learned that... Well, I always thought he was... I just always thought he was dead uh, like after the battle when they, they killed him. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. So the Parthians offered to negotiate Matteo, and, and the negotiation ensued, but something went wrong in the negotiation, and that's when Crassus was killed. And you well, know the legend. What could have possibly gone wrong during the negotiation? If I was Crassus, I would have accepted any deal. There was some... Like something happened whereby Crassus showed up at the, the meet and greet, and a Parthian grabbed his, the, his saddle or something, or grabbed the reins on his horse, and a Roman soldier said, you don't touch the horse of the general, and a little skirmish broke out, and the skirmish br- blew up into full-blown slaughter, and Crassus was killed, and this is the legend that has echoed through time, and it's only a legend, my dear. We don't know if it really happened, but Crassus was killed, and... Some legends say that gold was then poured down his throat by Orodes, the Parthian king. And at a wedding of the children of the Parthian and the Armenian king, because Orodes then goes and wipes out Armenia and takes control, has his kids, uh, his child marry the child of the Armenian king, they used Crassus's head, golden head, as a drinking vessel in the wedding. That's disgusting. It, I don't know how sanitary that is. Yeah, it's nasty. I would rather not drink from it. 
So Cassius the Legate survived the battle, Mateo, and he led the surviving 10,000 men back to Syria, where he actually ruled well. Oh, he was given governorship? Yeah, he was. And Surin, the brilliant Parthian general, was killed shortly thereafter by his own king, Herodes, because he was jealous. He was jealous of Surin, because Surin had the glory of defeating the Romans. And that was the end, Mateo, of Crassus. And now, before we move on, Mateo, to the next critical part, the ranking, I created an image of Crassus using ChatGPT to our listeners. You can find, you can find him on www.lostgermanheroes.com. Mateo, that's sort of how I imagined him on the eve of battle at Carhai. What do you think? He looks like a 70s to 90s politician. Yeah. Kind of smug. Yeah. Overconfident. Yeah. Very expensive looking um, armor. Oh, you can imagine. You could just imagine how splendid his armor was. Yeah. The, and the finest sword that money could buy. Yeah. So. Finest gladius. Which I also... Actually, never mind. What? Like the Romans, early Romans, they only used gladius, right? They didn't use uh, long swords. Or like That's ar- right. arming swords. Yeah, this is, the, this is the era of the gladius, the short sword. Yeah. Okay. And I think that only changes once they come into contact with, uh, with, uh, with, with the barbarians that, that had their long swords. But anyway, that's Crassus. And now it's time, Matteo, to rank him. So question number one, how big would you say was Crassus's military success? Not, I mean, he did beat Spartacus. But he did. Spartacus was, was a bunch of slaves. But at the same time, no other army was, I mean, no other force was able to put down Spartacus. So I guess it's saying something, you know, even though it was a bunch of slaves. I think so. The guy's got to get some credit for it, right? Because uh, Spartacus defeated two consuls and a couple of militias that were sent against him. So he did something there. Um, Yeah. So. But um, so is he, is he, okay. Just to put this into the context of our last few guys, Sulla was a 10, Sertorius was an average of 8.5. So, I mean, I think Crassus isn't a zero, but he's... I'm, I'm sort of thinking he's a few points here. Yeah, I'm going to say like... What do you think? Like 3, 4? Yeah, because he got the Battle of the Colline Gate. He did something good there. But then he lost at the end because he was a complete freaking military idiot. So. And, and then he lost his life and the entire army because he was a military idiot. So I think he's below average in the context of our oh, heroes. Yeah. So three? Yeah, three. Okay. Uh, okay, how about his political success? How do we rank his political success? I mean, it's got to be pretty decent, you know? Like, yeah, he was stripped. I mean, he wasn't as political. I mean, he was outmaneuvered every time by Pompey. So he was he's never given a triumph. But... Um, but that's true. He was never given a triumph. It's a very good point. Yeah. But he did very well for himself. He did. You know? He was consul two times. Yeah, and then he was He a was governor. one of the triumvirs. He was a triumvir, yeah. Governor. Um. And, and he chose the right side at the end of the day. He chose Sula's side. Yeah, that too. So. And he was able to do his 
maneuvering during that whole purging period to become rich. To become mega massively rich and to get himself the assignment that he wanted. It did end in his death, but he got what he wanted. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is an above average score. I'm thinking seven-ish. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You're thinking the same? Seven? Because yeah, we put Sula eight. Yeah. Eight and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sula, yeah. I think we maybe we under underrated Sula. Maybe this guy gets. That's what I was saying. But then you were like, "No, he can't be better than Scipio." <laughs> okay, that still is still like a sore spot in an open discussion. You and me on Sula versus Scipio. It's true. I still think Scipio is better, but I'm okay. just saying the ranking system. It's uh, it's a uh, it's numerical. Okay, like it's, it's true. It's just arithmetic. It is just simple math. Are we overranking this guy? Overrating him with the seven? No, I don't think so. Okay, I think all of the all of the tribe members were had some pretty decent books. W- without a doubt, know? there's no doubt about it. He might be the worst though, but, but yeah. still. Now on the next one, uh, he's he's going low in my book, which is coolness. How do you rank him oh, yeah, in terms he's a of his coolness? Loser. He was mega, super, massively uncool. Yeah. Yeah, he's a loser. Loser. Can yeah. you think of any redeeming quality? Is there anything cool about him? No, he's just like a slimy dude. Like even like the fiber grade thing was just to extort people. So yeah, he's not cool. Very, very much not cool. Not in my book. Is does he get any points? Is he a zero in coolness? Because for me, Crassus of everybody we've covered so far is far and away the least cool of them all. Yeah, he's. he's I mean, even less cool than than Marius, and and we hammered Marius less cool than Scipio Emilianus. Scipio Manana's got a two. And this is a guy that defeated Carthage and, and did a lot of other... Yeah, this guy just seems like a complete loser. Yeah. And Romulus was a one. I, I think Crassus is like Romulus. Like I, I'm thinking this is like a one or a zero in my book. Yeah. I actually, I don't even know why I would give him a one. I don't think he did anything that was remotely cool. Yeah, he didn't. He even got freaking burned by that old, that old king. Yeah, he did. He did. Not violated. He did completely got burnt. All right, so I'm going for a zero on Crassus. I'm cool. Yeah, I'm gonna give him a zero too. Now, impact, Mateo. Impact. What is? What was? Every member of the triumph was extremely impactful. So yes, you know, I think at the minimum, we like minimum for a triumph member, you need at least an eight. Yeah, you were highly impactful. I mean, yeah, I think he has a very high impact. Yeah, I think I don't know nine to ten. I think like the guy literally brought down the undoing of Rome. Like he was a part of it, big part. He did, and if it weren't for him being the wealthiest man in Rome, supporting Caesar, maybe Caesar would not have had have his rise. Mm-hmm. And maybe Caesar would have never have been the Caesar that we know. Mm-hmm. Maybe the death of the Republic would have been pushed off for a generation or two. Maybe that too. I tend to agree with you. So I'm gonna give him a ten to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hugely impactful. I think every member of the champ is getting a 10 for me. Okay, I agree with you, Matteo. I want to give him a 10 as well. And, and by the way, we used to, in our early episodes, we were doing a little what-if analysis after we ranked them. And yeah. we, we've sort of stopped doing that. We kind of just talked about it just now. We just did. Yep. <laughs> You're right. We did. Yeah. I just wanted to, it was in the back of my head, I wanted to bring it up on this episode that we, yeah. hadn't, been, we hadn't been doing that recently. And I think it's fun to speculate. So, now, uh, to our listeners, that gives Crassus a ranking of 50%. 50% means that he is 
one step above last place, just in terms of the scoring, right above Scipio Emilianus at 50%. But that leaves the, the basic question right there, which is, does this guy belong in the Hall of Heroes? No. I, I don't I, think so. I don't think so either. I think it's a definite no. He's a notable figure. Without a doubt. Notable figure, incredible story, does not belong in the Hall of Heroes. Impactful, but yeah. And that is... That is that. That is that for Mr. Crassus. Now, it is time to wrap up. It is the end of the episode. To our listeners, we hope that you enjoyed this first of the three triumvirs. We're going to take a little break next episode, and we're going to talk about Spartacus, whose story was so important to Crassus's own story right. and his shot at glory. Now, Mateo, before we wrap up, we need to make our, our plea. Would you like to make the plea to our listeners? What? Oh. Um, uh, okay, so if you haven't already, um, what's the plea? The plea is we need people to, <laughs> if you haven't already. Oh, if you haven't reviews. already, if you yeah, haven't already, yeah. please leave reviews because it helps a lot for the growth of the of the podcast. Uh, please follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Last Roman well, Last Roman Heroes because uh, the more we get to interact with you guys, um, the better it makes us feel. <laughs> no, the more we get to interact with you guys, the better it is for the growth as well, and. Um, well, I mean, if you follow us on those platforms, then we'll be able to interact with you guys more. And uh, new countries, uh, Portugal, Macedonia, and Kuwait. Which is so, it's so cool. This is, Mateo, I look forward to this every week, take, logging in and taking a peek at where our listeners are. I mean, Portugal, Macedonia, and Kuwait, that's amazing. And then we have old countries that are rising in the list, Mateo, in the last week. Uh, Germany has moved into third place. We have a big spike in listeners in Germany. And actually, it's now United States, United Kingdom, Germany, and then Colombia, Canada. Colombia, I don't know what's happening with friends and family in Colombia. <laughs> but you're no longer number two. You were number two for a long time. What happened? What happened? Well, true colors are showing. Oh, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. no, you just told kidding. me I that. I really don't mean that. You told me that because we are going to be together with the Colombian family for the holidays and we don't want to offend. No, we have we have our tried and true in Colombia, but it's awesome to see countries like Germany and Canada. And by the way, Iceland and UK and and Iceland is popping and Australia is popping. Wait, did Jamaica disappear? uh, Jamaica hasn't listened in the last, this is just the last couple of weeks. If we go from, if we take a look at uh, our listeners from the very beginning um, you'll see Jamaica but anyways to Mateo's point yeah please leave us reviews I know it's a pain and we know you're enjoying it but it makes such a difference when you leave a little review it helps to bump up our exposure on all these platforms and that's just just incredible so there's Jamaica we had one download in Jamaica and evidently they didn't, they didn't like, like it. it that much. Maybe they listened to the one where I made the wisecrack about Jamaica, and I apologize. I really don't mean to offend anyone, and we're so grateful to all of our listeners for listening. So 
that is it for the episode. Thank you so very much, and we look forward to hearing you, to seeing you, to talking to you next week. Thank you, and so long farewell.